You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. Will Watts from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak bringing you July edition of our latest podcast. Getting into uh, some player rankings. We're going to be giving out grades at positions and really delving into the strongest and weakest spots on this team as we get ready finally for training camp this month. Uh, Had some great news, obviously, with Foster Murrow putting out right before 4th of July that he's been cleared from Hodgkin's lymphoma, and we'll be getting into what another tight end, Jawan Johnson, recently had to say about the new quarterback in New Orleans, Derek Carr. Jeff, hope your 4th was glorious. Didn't do much except uh, saw a great, I'd say a good movie in the new Indiana Jones. And then, uh, yeah. Uh, in I, the I Dial of good. Destiny, was the, was the dial as big as it was portrayed to be? <laughs> it was okay. I thought it was a decent send-off for a guy that, a character at least, that, you know, obviously I grew up loving as a kid. The one before this, the Crystal Skull, didn't like that so one. Yeah, this one was way better, thankfully. And like <laughs> I said, a good send-off for Indy. And then obviously at night, it was all about fireworks, and I didn't have to go anywhere. It just seems like my neighborhood was, gra- you know, seemed like ground zero for all every single firework in America. Yeah, I didn't go out anywhere for fireworks either, but like, yeah, my neighborhood goes nuts. But I do have to say, like, if you are waiting until 10 p.m. to start setting off your fireworks, no. you're a jackass. Like, <laughs> no, there's no question about like our my entire neighborhood was like blowing up at about 8:30. It was dark. Right. It was great. And then it's like everyone stops and all of a sudden someone like two houses over from me at 9.58 is blowing up their backyard for like 45 minutes. If you were just going to send up a couple, fine. I was ready. Like I go to bed around 10 o'clock. I'm old. Today was not a day off, right? Like 
If you want to do something late on Tuesday or on Monday, the day before the 4th of July, go right ahead. What the hell? Like I'm laying in bed just like, like, okay, this was just unnecessary. It was already dark like an hour and a half ago. What were you doing? Why wouldn't you doing this then when everyone else was doing it? My theory is they wanted all the attention. Anyway, so yeah, I've just been watching tennis, although it rained yesterday, so there's only like three matches to watch, but I got to watch my boy Francis this morning. Looks good. Taylor Fritz got through. I only care about the Americans because America. That was my wife too, and she was so disappointed with Coco Golf getting bounced early. Yeah, I haven't watched much of the women's yet because it's just, I mean, there was only so many matches on, and I... You can only watch one match at a time, really. I think it was even the first day for Coco. She was boom, done. Yeah, it is weird. Like, you see, it, like, the rankings for tennis players change so much over time that it's like, oh, this was a top 10 player, like, a year ago. What the heck happened? They're unranked now. Like, Andy Murray's there. But, yeah, that's 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 kind of what I've been doing. But, yeah, getting back into the Saints stuff, right? You said they were grades. I wouldn't call them grades so much as I would say that I went through and, like, rated. It's more like a Madden rating than grades in that I gave five categories, which include the starters, depth, dependability, track record, and playoff experience. Each one, you can have as many as zero or 10 points. Zero is a disaster. 10 is perfect. And then, you know, I go through and I add the, add it all up. And however you land on that grading is how I'm going to put you on this list of like position strength. For the Saints, I'm not grading them against anybody else, but I am grading them against themselves. And so that's kind of how we're going to set up how the relative strength of each position kind of works. It's actually a method that I stole from when I got bored one weekend and decided to rank all the Marvel movies. (laughs) And so I went through each one, the MCU movies, at least, and gave them like six categories like writing and villain and rewatchability and stuff like that. And that's how I kind of established my own tier of Marvel movie rankings. So, so I'm doing the same thing with this because it's the time of year where we have nothing to really talk about. So we might as well talk about something stupid, which is how these positions stack up against each other. Do you and remember who ended I, up your top tiered Marvel movie? I was one of the, I think it was, I think it was infinity war. Okay. Yeah. I'm high on infinity war. And then like, I'm, Oh, we can go through that in a separate podcast. If anyone really <laughs> wants to know, I could go through for an hour on this. I'm a lot, I'm a, I'm a lot lower on all of the Doctor Strange movies than I think everybody else is. I'm with you. Um, He's a bore. Like Infinity War is high in spite of Benedict Cumberbatch, who I hate. But Multiverse is like way. I think I have Multi Alerts lower than than Black Widow. Like I hate that movie. It's so bad. I'm more about practical effects if you, if they can do it. Which obviously there's not many Marvel movies with practical effects. But like, if it's basically a cartoon, I'm not into it. I do like Spider-Verse. I like the Spider-Verse movies. But it's like, if you're going to make a cartoon, make it a freaking cartoon. Don't spend, you know, however much it costs to bring in Benedict Cumberbatch and then have him running on a treadmill talking to people. Like, that's stupid. And I don't want to watch. Anyway, that's, I don't, we've, we've gotten off on tangents. Uh, but yeah, I can go through those those rankings too. We could do that. There's There's that little to talk about where I think that would actually hold some weight. But. We're going to start because I have the quarterbacks and the tight ends ranked pretty low. And it's not because they're bad. It's because of they're on the categories that I have them listed at. There are significant questions as it pertains to the tight ends and the quarterbacks. Um, and so let's just start with Jawan Johnson. And he went on Sirius XM, NFL radio, whatever they call it. And he talked about Derek Carr. And I think it's an interesting conversation. So let's listen to that first before we, before we go any further. 
it honestly felt like we've been working with with Derek for quite a while now, and so uh, OTAs was was really good, really smooth, and you know he he's given me more of a a feel because he's an older guy. He's given me a lot of um, Drew, you know, um, going into the the huddle, commanding the huddle, the guys um, gravitating to him. Um, these are things I've seen. Um, how Drew conducted the huddle, how Drew conducted the offense, and things like that. So uh, it's given me similar feels, um, and so I'm really excited about what Derek has, and you know, and, and how he's going to move this offense. Pete Carmichael now in his second year of kind of running the offense. I'm sure there will be some things that uh, Sean Payton is doing in his offense that you guys will continue to carry with you. But in what way are you guys maybe evolving a little bit offensively? Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like with Derek, there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, he's been in an offense where, you know, he's had Josh McDaniels, John Gruden, so he has a lot of that he can bring over to, you know, our offense. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of uh, pieces on our offense, who, which I think he's probably never had before. Um, and so yeah. I feel like that's something that he could use a little bit. And so um, I, a big a big credit to Pete. I mean, Pete's been working his tail off this offseason. We got some stuff in there. I'm like, Pete, I've, I've never seen this before, but I like it. And so um, I'm really excited for Pete going into year two. He's been behind Sean for so long. And so he's learned a lot. And, and now he's time to he, – he's ready to blow up now. Yeah, so that was Jawan Johnson. And, he, like, one of the reasons I have the tight end group ranked low is because – I'm not projecting anything in these rankings. I am going based on a, what would I grade the starters at right now? B, what would I grade the depth at right now? C, what would I grade the dependability at right now? And so all three of those things are tough because yes, Jawan Johnson, I think has the potential to be a top end starting tight end in the NFL, at least as a receiving option. I don't know if he'll ever be an elite blocking option, but that's okay. So I put him at a, uh, and, and then for dependability, you know, if I had to pick one thing Jawan Johnson needs to address this year, it is he can't disappear for long stretches, right? If you want to be a top end receiving tight end option, you have to be consistent game in, game out. And while his numbers for last year were intriguing and impressive in terms of touchdowns caught, you know, total yardage, everything ticked up. You know, he did have long stretches where you're like, okay, where did, where did Juwan go, right? Hits touchdowns. He had two against the Falcons, then one each against the Rams, Steelers, and Ravens. Those were back-to-back-to-back games. I would say that was his best stretch as an NFL player, right? So Falcons, the 49ers, the Rams, the Steelers, and the Ravens. But, you know, then you had that, that 49ers game where he had zero catches on two targets and they got shut out, right? Like, that's not only his fault, but someone had to step up as a weapon in that game. And then you had the first, what, eight games of the year, seven games of the year, didn't catch a touchdown, right? So, like, th- these are those moments where it's like, okay, if I'm going to have to, if I'm going to grade you higher, I need to see consistency. And so this time next year, if I do this rating again, hopefully I can put him higher. But for now, the tight end position is actually the lowest graded position. And so that's where I want to get into with these gradings is everyone is between 40 and 28.5. So maximum of 50, minimum of zero. (laughs) So if you wanted to double this up, you would be talking B, B minus C. But I'm not going with letter grades. I'm just going with numbers. And so right now, tight end I have at 28.5. And the way I broke it down is so starters, I'm giving a 6.5 depth. I'm giving a seven, which I think is probably 
more than it deserves right now, just because I like Jawan Johnson, I like Foster Morrow, and I like Taysom Hill. But that depth could go away really fast because if suddenly you lose Jawan Johnson, where are you looking at in terms of your receiving tight end? I'm not sure who you have, right? So I think that the starters at 6.5 is fair. The depth at 7 might be overselling it. But I do like the depth when everyone's healthy. I do like what Derek Carr and Jawan Johnson have been able to kind of get to already in terms of Jawan is working on whip routes. He's working on watching slot receivers and kind of figuring out the tricks they used to get open. I talked to Clancy Barone, the new tight ends coach, and he had Jawan look watching Julian Edelman, Brandon Stokely, Antonio Gates, guys like that, Tony Gonzalez, guys who use their bodies as well as anybody so that he can do that too, because he has the athleticism. So I think it's interesting track record. I give it a six. And then the one that really brings them down is the playoff experience grade, which I put it a two. And it's the same reason that the quarterback position comes down because I consider playoff experience in terms of trying to grade out a position to be a pretty important category. And I don't know. I I think Juwan might have been on the roster his rookie year when, when they made the playoffs, but I don't think he played. Foster Morrow, I believe, has one or two playoff games, but, you know, obviously not a significant number. Then no one else, as far as I know, has any significant playoff experience other than Taysom Hill, who his playoff experience wasn't as a tight end. So uh, that's that's at a two. And so that's really tanking their grade. But I have tight ends as the lowest graded position at 28.5. Yeah, I, I can't blame you there. That was a huge, huge question. I remember just going into organized team activities because we didn't even know about really a Foster Murrow, a Jesse James, even in the mix early on. So the additions there at least helped solidify some of the depth, that position, but I agree with you. If there, God forbid, is that injury to a Jawan Johnson, who becomes that top receiving threat now with this tight end group, you would think maybe Taysom, but we just, we really haven't seen it from him except you know, in every other role really on this team, I would lean maybe towards a guy like a Foster Morrow then just because he's been there, done that before and has the experience with Derek Carr. And I think he'd get a lot more looks than if something were to happen with Juwan Johnson. I did love hearing those comments though. I mean, what is he going to say on that serious XM radio interview with Juwan Johnson on the fact though, like comparing Derek Carr in the same realm as Drew Brees When it comes to commanding the huddle and getting guys to the line, I don't want anybody, you know, blowing things up. And all of a sudden on social media, you see like tweets comparing, oh, Jawan Johnson says Derek Carr is just like Drew Brees. No, 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 no. That's that wasn't the case there. But it just it it talked about that sense of urgency, getting guys aligned. And, you know, I I don't know. want to say I'm surprised, but I guess a little bit taken back that a guy like Andy Dalton wasn't as experienced maybe in getting, getting things set that way and that nature. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think Andy ever felt like he commanded that room. Cause he didn't right? like he was the second no, right. choice for a reason. And uh, I don't think that that offense ever ran the way that it was initially envisioned and hoped it would. That's why they went out and got Derek Carr. I don't think they loved the way that it ran with J- Jameis either. I love Jameis, but I don't think that it worked the way that they hoped. And so they went out and got a guy who they think can command that room. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the playoff experience is the easiest thing to correct here. And I'm going to talk about playoff experience a lot because I think it's important, right? Like you look at teams get to the playoffs with a bunch of young players. It's rare to see that team excel in the playoffs in year 
like even even Pat Mahomes, you look at Pat Mahomes is like probably the fastest in terms of getting to the playoffs and having success. But even that first year he got to the playoffs, they lost to to Tom Brady and the Patriots in overtime of the AFC championship, right? Like you got pretty far, but I think they needed that experience to be able to get over the hump. And so, you know, that's why I look at a guy like Traquan Smith. We're going to talk about Traquan Smith. One of the things that he has going for him, he's been to the playoffs. He's got two touchdowns in a, in a divisional playoff game, right? Like who else in the roster can say that? But, you know, you asked who might step in. And I think a guy like Lucas Kroll is intriguing in terms of he's a pass catching tight end. He's not ever going to be that star in line blocking tight end. But if you're looking for a guy who could potentially step in and fill some of that role, the way we see him move around, I think is, is, is solid. And he could take on some of that because I also don't think Taysom is ever going to be that receiving threat at tight end the way that Jawan can be. Yeah. I was curious how many tight ends did you end up keep keeping on that initial 53 man roster? I remember you put out, was it three or four? I believe it was only three. I think okay. I only kept Jawan Foster and Taysom, but like, you're going to be able to stash a guy like Lucas crawl in the practice squad. And that's part of the reason I have their depth grade pretty high. It's a seven, you know, in terms of a lot of unproven guys behind those three, I still think that there is some depth there. So I feel good about it in terms of who can step in when needed. So let's move on. We're only going to do one other group in this segment, and we're going to move on to kind of the middle of the road groups. But the second one, I think I think people are going to disagree with me on it, but it's quarterback is the second lowest graded group on this team. And again, a lot of it is based on playoff experience, right? Like it's the same thing I would have said about Drew Brees when he came in is like, I need to see this guy prove himself before I'm going to give him a great grade on terms of like what he can do in the playoffs. Derek Carr has played in one career playoff game. He lost it. He was hurt for another playoff game that they that they lost as well. The Raiders did. But so I have them at a 29. So they're only a tick higher than tight ends. And none of these groups are super low. Like no one's getting like a 10, obviously. But yeah, so starting grade, I have it as 6.5 because I think that's fair. I think that's where Derek Carr is in terms of the hierarchy of quarterbacks. I think he's kind of that upper middle tier. He's not in the top tier but he is in that middle to upper range. Like he's upper middle class, right? Like he's not hurting for money, but it's like, you're not going on vacations every two months, right? You're, you're gotta, you gotta have a good money manager there and make sure it lasts. And that's kind of where I, where I put him at, right? Like you're starting, you're starting college funds and stuff like that. And then what, what really kind of keeps this grade high is the depth. I have their depth at an eight, the same way I have the Saints tight end depth pretty high because I think the guys they have behind the starters are pretty good. I have dependability to 6.5. I have track record as a six because I think that in terms of both Jameis and Derek, the track record of quarterbacks in terms of statistics and winning is about as middling as it can be. Neither of these guys has, has a winning career record as a quarterback. Neither of them has won a playoff game. That's about as middle of the road as you can get. And I probably should put it lower in terms of that. Like, I think they can improve upon that, but I'm not putting it higher than a six. And then playoff experience is a two. So very similar, but tight end and quarterback. And that's why they're both at the bottom. So tight end 28.5, quarterback at 29, and it only gets higher from there. Yeah, a lot of, like you said, when it comes to especially the playoffs, uh, unproven on this roster with, you know, obviously you got a rookie in Hayner. Jameis didn't do anything in Tampa, huh? I mean, he did a lot of interesting things. No, but I mean, but he they, never, got he never to the made playoffs. it to the playoffs in Tampa. No, no. Right. And I mean, they 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 had a couple good seasons in terms of, of win-loss, right? Like, not like great, but they never won the division. They never won a wild card. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just, I think the playoffs, 
and the regular season are two very separate entities. And that's why I have that grade here. Because I want to see someone who has showed up in the playoffs and had success, right? The Saints have players like that. And, I, and that's why I grade those positions a little higher. Like even, again, like a Traquan Smith. Like I don't need you to be a guy who's showing up and being a star in the playoffs, but I'd like to see somebody in every position group who at least understands what it's like, who has been in that situation. And I don't, I can't say that about any of the Saints tight ends with the exception of Taysom Hill. But again, he was not really a tight end when he was doing right. that. And then I can't say that about any of the Saints quarterbacks. So that really tanks their grade in my opinion. Yeah. The, the biggest thing, obviously the Saints quarterback room, I think has going for it is that's that step to the number two quarterback with Jameis Winston. He's almost on that level. I would say as Derek Carr, I would say Carr is your better quarterback a better than average quarterback and, and Jameis is too. It's just the, the injury history with him has really caused the, the biggest right. problem in my opinion. And, but I, I think if it came to that situation where you needed him, I feel pretty confident with him running the saints offense at least. Yeah. And that's why like dependability and depth are important to me because yeah, I think they do make the playoffs in 2021. If Jameis stays healthy, I don't know how deep they go, but I think they get there. They started five and two. I mean, if they don't have a five-game losing streak in the middle of the season, which is directly related to your stop starting quarterback going down, you make the playoffs. You you missed it by one game, which you know the Saints sent out a, a clip of Paulson Adebo making a one-hand interception against the Falcons. Like, oh man, what a big play! And then you look up in the top left corner of the screen, and it's got like the bug of the Rams and 49ers playing. And that was at a point where the Rams were up 17 to nothing over the 49ers. Which at that point, that one-handed interception and that that score in the top left corner of the screen, you're like the Saints are making the playoffs, baby. Good hope. <laughs> and then the Saints hold up their end of the deal. The 49ers blow that lead. I'm sorry, the the Rams blow that lead and lose in overtime, and the Saints miss the playoffs. And it's like, man, that still triggers me to this day. Like that's that's a rough that's a rough time. But yeah, it's to me like the knowing that if Derek Carr goes down for any period of time, like not even season-ending injury. What if he right. sprains his ankle and has to miss a game, right? You have someone who not only has won games at the NFL level, has proven that he can win games in this offense, has a puncher's chance against anybody. Just go back and watch that Falcons game week one where he had these crazy injuries and he was still able to lead that comeback. That makes me feel a lot better about the quarterback position. This time next year, this grade could be a lot higher because Derek Carr proves something that he hasn't been able to, which is that not only can he go out and be a successful quarterback in the regular season. He can do it down the stretch. He can do it in the red zone, which I know has been something that he's been got a lot of grief for the last week or so. And then he can go win a playoff game. But right now, I just don't, I don't, I don't know that. And, you know, both of these quarterbacks, actually, when you look at their careers, they have been on teams that have been to the playoffs twice. That's not true. Jameis has played in two playoff games, technically, because he was on the Saints in 2020 when they beat the Bears, and then lost to the 49ers, a game in which he threw a touchdown. Derek Carr has been in the playoffs twice. He played in one game. He was hurt for the second time. So That's right. Both, Wasn't it that that trick play that the Saints stole from the Bears they used against him, right? To Traquan Smith, yes. Yes, right, right. Yeah, so that was the play that – it was kind of that tossback play. Mitch Trubisky and the Bears ran it, and I can't remember the guy's name, but it was the same player, the same receiver who punched – C.J. Gardner-Johnson and got suspended. And he was wide open in the end zone. No yeah. one was within 10 yards of him. And the ball just went straight through his hands. 
And like, I still think like to this day that CJ Gardner Johnson was playing defense from inside of his head on that play. But yes, that was the play. The next week, the Saints stole that exact play, ran it against the Bucks for a touchdown, Jameis to, to Traquan Smith, and it worked. And yeah, the Saints actually tried it again, by the way. They tried it this year with Andy Taysom. Dalton. Okay. No, they used, they used it. So Taysom had the ball. They did kind of a throwback to Andy Dalton, and Andy Dalton ended up getting sacked. And that was the play that, if you recall, everyone was like, Alvin Kamara was wide open on the left side of the screen. But it's like, no, the read is to Kevin White up the middle of the field, just like that was the read in the playoffs, to Traquan up the middle of the field. So it's not like he can just be like, you know what, I'm not throwing it there. I'm going to throw it over here instead. That's not the read. But Andy Dalton did not successfully execute that play. But that was the same play. Uh, um, anyway. Sadly, we said that a lot. Andy Dalton did not execute that play. That's such <laughs> a good difference between like, okay, this is a quarterback who can run this play and this is a quarterback who cannot. Yes. But yeah, it is it is what it is. They won that game. I think that was against the, the Rams. It was one of the games they won, so no one got mad about it. But <laughs> it did. It was a bad play. I mean, it was like a 12-yard sack. It was just a good example of a play. Why are you running that play right now? Right? Like, it's it's when you look at Pete Carmichael, and like you say, you, you've said this a few times, of like, I've always been told Pete Carmichael was a more aggressive play caller than Sean Payton. It was like, yeah, because why is Pete Carmichael calling that play right in that situation? It's like when, when Sean decided to run a double reverse and lock. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, what are you doing? Right, why are we doing this right now? This is stupid. Don't do it anyway. One thing, though, you mentioned Pete real quick there. That was another thing Jawan mentioned. Nice to hear he's got a new bag of tricks, obviously, heading into this year. I wouldn't expect anything less, though. Yeah, I'd like to think Pete's going to be a little more comfortable because, you know, we yeah. can talk about Pete's been around forever. That's the first year he's uh, – second year, but – 2012 is kind of weird. It's so long ago. It's hard to even compare it. But like, that's the first year he has been kind of on his own as the play caller, not running Sean Payton's offense anymore. He's running his offense. And I think while it'd be easy to say, oh, well, he's been around forever. He shouldn't have had a learning curve. There's a learning curve there. And hopefully this year, and I think Joanne alluded to it, he feels more comfortable. He's able to do execute some of that. But all right, those are the first two positions. We had tight end quarterback. Those are the bottom two in my rankings. And I think that's going to tell you that I feel pretty confident about a lot of the positions on this team. There are a few that kind of sit in the middle. And so those are the ones we're going to get into in this next segment. But is there any anything else, any parting shots you want before we close this one out and head into the second segment? Nothing with that position group, I think. Yeah, it was pretty easily laid out there and, and makes a ton of sense to me, obviously, especially when you're putting that emphasis on the uh, the playoff experience or lack thereof kind of thing yeah that's the big difference between this group being in the middle of the pack and this group being at the bottom and not every position group has playoff experience and these two just don't it's just the way it is and you got to grade you, i guess you don't have to grade because we don't have to do this at all but we do have to put out a podcast so if we are putting out a podcast and doing the grades you got to grade based on something and that's what i'm using so argue with me on twitter if you want although i don't really use that anymore anyway we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep going. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak at Jeff underscore Nowak on Twitter. Steve is at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show as well at Saints underscore pod. We're gonna come back. We're gonna go through the next three or four positions based on how long it takes us to talk about them. So uh, stick around for that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold Grades Edition, but they're not grades, more like a Madden. Anyway, I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. He's at Steve Geller WWL. The show is at Saints Pod on Twitter. And Steve, we've already gone through tight ends. They're at the bottom. Not like I hate the tight ends. They're just the lowest ranked position. Then quarterbacks. If you had to guess, who would you say was probably the, the next position group on the ladder? Did you group fullbacks in with running backs? I did. That was the only position that I combined, but like defensive tackle, defensive end, cornerback safety are separate. Like, so those are four positions. I will go linebacker just because I think that's a, one of the weaker spots on this team, except for their two main dudes. <laughs> Close. And for the same reason you say it, okay. the depth score really hurts them, but no, it's actually defensive tackle right now. Okay. And, I think when you look at the defensive tackle roster, it probably should be the most concerning one. You did spend a first round pick on it, but right. it's a first round pick that you don't really know exactly how he's going to contribute year one. You look at the names on this, Colin Saunders, Nathan Shepard, Malcolm Roach, Brian Brzee, Jerron Cage, Prince Amelie, Jack Heflin. Now, what saves this from being below quarterback and tight end is exactly what we talked about in the first segment. And for one player specifically, <laughs> and it's Colin Saunders with his playoff experience. So I have them at 29.5, which is slightly above quarterback and slightly below linebacker. But the grade, so starters I have at a six, depth I have at a six, dependability I have at a six, because these guys have been reasonably healthy. Whereas that's a concern I have for some positions. It's like, man, this guy can't stay healthy and we're seriously depending on him. So that's a grade that's going to be interesting. But Dependability was a six. Track record is a four just because there's so many players here and we're combining them, right? Like I'm not just talking about Colin Saunders' dependability. I'm talking about the entire group. And then playoff experience, I have at way higher than it should be, but it's a 7.5 and it's one player who is holding that way, way up. And it is Colin Saunders. is a guy who we talked to after he signed. And one of the questions I asked him was, you know, how do you bring that like, what are some of the tenets of the Kansas City Chiefs who win every year that you can bring in? And one of the things he talked about was like just consistency, right? Things doing the same things over and over again. It's not a question mark. Like one of the things he said was Andy Reid made sure that whenever they went on the road, they arrived at the exact same time. And when you're playing in a bunch of different time zones, right? That's not easy to do. Like they're different distances. You somehow like, but like if they arrived at 4 p.m. in you know LA. They were going to arrive at 4 p.m. in New England. They were going to arrive at 4 p.m. in London if they traveled to London. And they just had to shift when they left to make sure that's when they arrived. And that's the type of thing that he would do. And he's a lunatic to, to some degree. Like he would wear Air Force Ones every day and color in the circle around the F and then a line. So it said like AR1 for Andy Reid 1. So like not all of that is transferable. But I do think that a guy who has not only been to a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, last year <laughs> um, has understood what it's been like in that room can bring that to the saints. 
is helpful. And that's why I have that at 7.5, even though he's basically the only one on this list that's been in the playoffs. He has about as much postseason experience as you could possibly have. And for a group that is new and is young and, you know, like they obviously, if you lump the entire defensive line together, Cam Jordan is going to be the leader of that group. But I do think at points it's like, okay, the defensive tackle position does very different things in terms of maybe the, some of the drills they do are the same in practice. So you'll see them working out together. But when it comes to the game, when it comes to responsibilities, that's a position group of itself and you need a leader. And I think he's going to be the leader. So that's why I have it slightly higher because when push comes to shove, I think they have a guy in that room who can lead that group to water. Whereas I don't know if that's true of tight end, right? Like, I don't know if, yeah, like these are all guys who are still kind of up and coming and have not been to the playoffs or at least not been extensively into the playoffs. And that's where I kind of draw the line now. Yeah, defensive line is definitely a, a huge question mark. You mentioned, obviously, the, the guys with the experience are guys with experience pretty much elsewhere. Obviously, we, we have a guy like Malcolm Roach who is back in the mix for this team. But yeah, Saunders and Shepard, we still haven't seen what they've done in the black and gold. Saunders... Great track record and experience coming from Kansas City. We'll see how we translate over here. And I, th- I think you're, that's, you're spot on with the fact that he's going to be the voice, that leader of this group. Yeah, d- definitely mentoring these guys. And, I, I mean, obviously, we, we haven't seen these defensive uh, prospects along the line turn out the best for the Saints in recent years. So hopefully this first rounder does because it's a pretty major hit that they need here with Brian Brzee there's you know we talk about the lack of experience the lack of know-how on this defensive line if he doesn't come through I'm not expecting obviously the world in year one out of him but you got to be able to you know stop the run rush the passer kind of deal which we haven't really seen much from that D-line group I guess the past two seasons it's been a actually nuts that smack that that last year was really actually a down year from them the previous they had been awesome against the run. I was I, I was really surprised on the drop-off a year ago we saw. Yeah, they've struggled against the run the past two years, and that's part of the reason you do have this overhaul at defensive tackle because, you know, it's like if you were going to overpay for David Onyemata, it wasn't after last season, no, right? definitely not. Like, Shai Tuttle did nothing to make you think, oh, we're going to definitely overpay to keep him around. And so these guys have a lot to prove. Hopefully Brian Brzee can be that guy. But again – as I said, with the tight ends and with the quarterbacks, I'm not projecting anything. I'm going based on what I know right now. Yeah. And that is that this is an unproven group. And so that's why they're third from the bottom. They're only slightly below linebacker. So this was a 29.5 of the defensive tackles. The next position is linebacker. They're at a 30. So you're talking pretty close here. And what, what helps them stand up above the floor is Demario Davis has been that good. Pete Werner has been very good. What hurts them is the dependability from Pete Werner and then the depth behind Pete Werner, which does not exist. So from a starting perspective, out of 10, I give them a nine. Like the linebackers, I'm putting at a nine out of 10, which is only one other position group got a nine for the starters. But past that depth, I give them a three. Because where is the depth? There is none. Zach Bond? God, I don't want to trust Zach Bond. I like Zach Bond, but geez, he's done nothing to make me feel confident about trusting him. Dependability, I'll put it at 6.5, and that's the middle ground between DeMario Davis never missing a game and Pete Werner being in the NFL two years and having significant injury issues a lot of that time, right? Like he came into last season already dealing with an injury. He had to miss, what, five games with injury. He's been really good around that, but 
can I depend on him to get through a full season? And that's that combination of dependability and depth issue <laughs> makes me very concerned. Track record 6.5. I think that's fair in terms of like, this is a whole group. Like Demario Davis's track record is spotless, but, and Pete Werner's when he's healthy is spotless, but behind him, it's a blank slate. Really? Uh, we've seen Zach Bond not get it done. We've seen Andrew Dowell struggle when given some extra opportunities. Hopefully that changes. But that's a 6.5. And then playoff experience is, again, in the middle because DeMario has playoff experience, but no one else does. So I give that a 5. So in total, that's a 30. That's a tough position. And like you mentioned, after DeMario and Pete, the questions come. It's gone. It's blank. It's a blank slate. Um, I don't know what to expect. It's It's a position we've talked about, too, of the possibility of adding someone before camp maybe doesn't seem that likely now but definitely if something they don't see anything developmental in the guys that they do have I could see obviously some guys that are let go from other rosters that have playing experience getting brought in just because like we're saying the there is no depth I I, I, like Bobby would say you know you're waiting for the juice or the, the in an NFL schedule this year he said there was no like hard point for this team come the schedule for me, it's like you look at the the linebacking court. It's like, like you mentioned, it's like after Davis and Werner, what am I going to do? Zach Bond's been maybe a reliable special teams performer, and that's about it. Yeah, no, it's a concern. Uh, and it's not like DeMario, if DeMario was 28, you'd be like, okay, you know, will I, I trust it. I mean, DeMario is still playing at a high level, but how long can you really depend on that? And this is a team that's proven they don't really like to draft the linebacker position, so I get it. <sighs> I don't think this is a this is a sustainable way to kind of run that group beyond this year. So you're gonna have to figure it out. Either way, that's why it's down toward the bottom. It's still above a defensive tackle because, and again, it's like you're talking about the depth grade. That's probably the closest thing I have to a projection. Whereas, like at least defensive tackle, you do have a first round prospect who hopefully can stand out and take over some of that gap of like what do we expect from these players. There's no one on the linebacker level that that you can reliably go point to and be like, yeah, well, hopefully this guy plays up to expectations and you feel good about it, right? You just don't have it. Um, and you're like, no, maybe Anthony Orgy is a is a diamond in the rough, right? Maybe That's what I'm saying, yeah, you're looking at an undrafted giant quads are, are enough, right? I don't, I don't know. He and he and Saquon Barkley could have some serious like quad sessions, quad quad competitions, if you will. All right, let's move on to wide receiver, which is the next position on this list. Again, you know, pretty much goes up by a half step every time from at this point. So you had defensive tackle 29.5, linebacker 30, wide receiver 30.5. But wide receiver is interesting. And again, I'm not projecting. So that's going to limit how high I'm looking at a Chris Olave, Rashid Jaheed group. Um, but starters, again, actually, I lied. So this is another position that has a nine. And there's one more after this that has a nine in terms of, well, the starters are healthy. This is among the best wide receiver group in the NFL. Um, (laughs) It might not be ranked there right now for a few reasons. One, no one believes in Mike Thomas to be healthy and that's fine. I don't blame them. And then I don't think anyone knows exactly what to expect out of Rashid Shahid and Chris Olave in year two. They know they're going to be good, but they don't know how good. So they're not going to be appearing on any top 10 wide receiver group lists. But I do think they're among the top half, let's say, easily in the NFL when healthy. The issue is when are they all healthy, right? And so depth, I put it at 7.5 because I do think that there are some intriguing names behind them. And if you can say one, two, three, four, and four is Traquan Smith, and it's like, okay, 
as much as people might not be in love with Traquan Smith as your fourth wide receiver option, I don't hate it, right? Like you think, like, go look around the NFL and tell me that you can find uh, several wide receiver fours who have multiple years of NFL experience, can block very well at their position, have caught touchdowns in the playoffs, understand the system they're in incredibly well. Like they've just, they could teach a class on it at this point. I think that's like, when you look at it, I think you could do worse with Traquan Smith. So I put the depth pretty high at 7.5. Dependability, I have it a five because we've seen this wide receiver group go go in and out in waves. Like the reason Rashid Shahid is popular this year as a breakout candidate and people expect a lot from him is because this group was so undependable last year that the undrafted guy that you brought in as a return ace ended up getting significant run as a wide receiver and excelled. You know, and that's a good thing for Rashid Shahid and it's a good thing for the Saints that they were able to identify him. But like, if this group was dependable and healthy, he would have never gotten on the field. So I still put that dependability score to five, track record six, playoff experience, you know, probably unfair. I probably should tick this up. I have it at a three. It should be higher because between Trey Cron Smith and Michael Thomas, there is significant playoff experience there. So mm, I'm actually changing my mind mid midstream here. I'm going to put playoff experience at a five, fix it up to a 32.5 total. Thankfully, I don't have to change that much because it only moves them up to. So I actually take that back. Wide receiver, I'm moving up to 32.5, which puts them slightly above the two lines. But either way, I think like generally speaking, this is kind of right in the middle. Could go either way. And I think that this is a position that could be a star on this team. But right now, I just don't know enough to say that. No, I love that too. It's like you, you look at it, the big three, obviously, Mike T, Olave, and Rashid Shahid. Those are the three main wide receivers, uh, I, I think, going into this season. And yeah, even Rashid Shahid, unproven still return specialist, you really thought that was going to be his role. Absolutely electric stuff last season. We'll see what, what they draw for him this year. Olave too. Uh, we want to see that growth. He already had a uh, a solid rookie season being thrust into basically the wide receiver one role. If Michael Thomas can stay healthy, how much will that affect Olave going into year two? Uh, will he still see as many touches? I, I don't know. I wouldn't expect it if a Mike T is healthy, but his involvement in this offense is still going to be crucial. And you would think on that top tier level and Mike T, man, we know what he can do. It's just all about staying on the field and hopefully you know we've ankle issues toe issues i haven't seen him running around much but i have seen him deadlifting so i'm just hoping that mike <laughs> t's ready to, he's ready to roll and can just bounce throw guys out of the way this season as i throw my laptop in that case too yeah i think that you you can't question that he's motivated i think he's definitely motivated sure. and you know that's all you can ask for like i can't complain about Mike Thomas getting hurt. Like guys get hurt. It's outside of their control. It's not like he's just saying, Oh, my toes broken and I'm not going to try. Like he wants to play through injuries, but his body's not letting him. So all I can ask from him is that he does the work and he's motivated and hopefully his luck changes. Um, so for right now, I, he's doing everything that you could ask him to do. I wonder what the under over like in Vegas is for Mike T playing more than nine games kind of thing this year that's a good question uh i think it'd be lower than that i think it's like it's probably seven and a half right 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 and he could play the first six games and you still wouldn't feel confident about it until you saw him get through seven and a half because we've seen him 
not only have injuries, like guys get hurt, they tweak a hamstring, they miss a couple games. His injuries have basically been career threatening or season ending. And that's you never feel comfortable when there's with that type of situation. Um, no, now we got a 30 year old wide receiver with foot problems that we got to worry about. Yeah. And it gets older. You look like a guy like Des Bryant. Like when there's a point that you reach where you go off a cliff and you, it's hard to identify, but then it's like, you just can't make it anymore. You can't do it anymore. Especially with big body guys like that. Brandon Marshall was the same way. Like he was really, really good, like supernova good. And then all of a sudden he just, you got to a point where you just can't separate and you can't create that. So hopefully Mike Thomas still has it in the, in the, in his engine. But we got to wait. Guys you mentioned had short since stints with the Saints. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but for the same reasons, like it's like, oh, maybe he still got it. I think Des Bryant actually still did have a little bit of juice left, and then he tore that Achilles on his first practice, and I was like, well, shit. But and I only say that because Drew Brees would have would have been able to take advantage of what he had left. Brandon, uh, the other guy I mentioned. Oh, um, Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall, I forgot his name. Like, I think he was he was completely out of it uh, when he when he showed up. But it was like, let's see what he has, and he didn't have it. I, I um, laughed one time in the locker room. He proclaimed himself as the best scout team wide receiver on the team. He probably was. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, good for him. At least he understood where he was. Yeah. So I did adjust these grades slightly. So we went through wide receiver, but they are now ranking slightly above. Offensive and defensive line. So wide receiver, okay. I have at a 32.5. I have the offensive and defensive line at 31 for different reasons, but for the sake of time, we'll go through them together. Defensive end, you know, it's funny because you have all of these names on here and kind of like with the linebacker room, the, it's the grade itself is pulled so far up by Cam Jordan existing in this group. And there's so much question marks, so many question marks behind him that it's, that it's tough. But I have the starters I have at a seven, whoever it is. I assume it's going to be Peyton Turner. Maybe it's Carl Granderson. Maybe Isaiah Foskey blows the doors off and wins that starting job out of camp as a rookie. I don't know. But like Cam Jordan would be at a nine, even at this point in his career, in my opinion. And then whoever it is, you're probably putting out a five or a six. And so it averages out to a seven. Depth, I have at a six. I actually think that's probably unfair, but Pey- because Peyton Turner has been so inconsistent, and because I don't know, want to know, I don't know what to expect out of Isaiah Foskey and Carl Granderson. I think is a solid rotational player, but he shouldn't be your starter. I have it at a six. Dependability six point five. Again, Cam Jordan would be at a ten here. Hmm. There's no one more dependable than Cam Jordan. Right. The, real, the only reason it's as high as it is is because of Cam Jordan. Because beyond that, could be anything. So six point five. I also think Isaiah Foskey is probably. You know, in terms of availability, he's going to be right there with Cam. I think they have a, they share a lot of traits in terms of the amount they work and just their kind of durability. Um, but so 6.5. Track record, 6.5. Again, like this is all making Cam look worse than he is. But in reality, Cam is saving this group. Yeah. And then playoff experience, five. Again, Cam, as much as you could hope for on the Saints roster in terms of been to the NFC Championship, been in the playoffs so many times, and then everybody else, zip. Um, <laughs> Tano, I guess, has been there with the Chiefs, right. but and then so total 31. And I just think that's the question. It's like, you know, what you're going to get out of Cam. You kind of have a question mark everywhere else. And there's too many positions on this roster as I go through this. Too many positions where you have one guy at the top of the roster, the depth chart, and then just you're hoping someone else can jump up and, and be that reliable player. 
at some other key positions. I've said this for a while now with the Saints. You know, you think about when's the really the last time that they had a reliable guy opposite of Cam Jordan on that a defensive end. And right. for me, it's it's all the way back with uh, you know, a, a favorite and um Mr. What's his name? A belt on the beach. Uh hold on. Junior Gallette. Yes, thank you. Junior Gallette was a double See, I digit. Think they, when they had Trey, they they were there. Um, and 2020 was probably their best pass rush season uh, in a while. But yeah, I mean, he, the, even he was that he was basically that one year, and then they let him go. So for like an extended period, you're probably right. It probably was Junior Gallette, as as much as that pains me to say, because he's such a lunatic. No, exactly. You my, you you look at it, and it was like wow, there was actually somebody putting up double digit sacks right. opposite of Cam. We saw some promise out of a Marcus Davenport, never came to fruition. He gone now. Yeah. Uh, hopefully Peyton Turner can be that dude, but yeah, that's, that's definitely one. He's got the, uh, the big crosshairs on him. This training camp for me, a lot of eyes going to be on, uh, Peyton Turner going into this year. I agree. And, and so we've been going on this a while. Let's just go to offensive line here. Also at a 31, I think the, the, the lines are kind of, I think it's fair to say they're kind of in the middle, but for very different reasons, right? Because on the offensive line, you know, I put the starters at an eight when they're all healthy. I feel really good about it. Yeah. The problem is, so depth I also think is reasonable at 7.5, especially with Sal DeVere coming in and James Hurst. If he's not your starting left tackle, I think he's a really good depth piece. When he is your starting left tackle, I think you are at a disadvantage just because he's not a starting left tackle in the NFL. He's a great backup. He's not a starting left tackle, but he can swing from tackle to guard. That's very useful. I think it's kind of what they're trying to establish with Sal DeVere, where he can play either position and that saves you. But then Landon Young, I think, is a serviceable backup, right? So I think depth is good. But then dependability, I put it at a four. Because, yeah. I mean, look at it. Like, Ryan Ramchek has been your healthiest guy, but even he's been dealing with knee injuries the last few years. He's getting older. Eric McCoy was really dependable his first two seasons. The last two seasons, he has dealt with calf injuries, which when you're a guy who has to get down and snap the ball, calves can be tricky. Because it's putting a lot of pressure on there as you get out of your stance. Trevor Penning, we have not seen him start. Well, we've seen him start one game and he tore his foot up. So who knows? Cesar Ruiz has been very reliable, but then he got hurt at the end of last season. Andres Pete has about been as hurt as about anybody as you could imagine. And so, yeah, like that tanks their grade there. Even though you have all of this first round talent, you have all of these quality players. They just never seem to be on the field at the same time. Track record, I give him a six. Playoff experience, I put it at a 5.5 because on one side of the line, or, you know, with with McCoy, with Ramchek, with Pete, you do have some serious playoff experience. But then with Ruiz, with Penning, um, with some other guys, you don't. So it kind of puts it in the middle and at the end kind of balances out to 31. But, like, again, the offensive and defensive lines are both 31s for me, but for completely different reasons. Yeah, and obviously, like you're mentioning too, the these numbers and rankings have a great chance to go up. And I, I would sure hope with this offensive line, they should be one of the better units uh, on this Saints squad because of what they've invested there. But man, like you mentioned though too, you cannot overlook the injuries. These guys take a beating, and yeah. I mean, even for someone as great and reliable as Ryan Ramchek, yeah, we saw him. He wasn't the same dude last season. 
Yeah, and 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 they also have 16 offensive linemen on the roster right now, which is kind of crazy. Wow. <laughs> That's so many. Um, and a lot of them are quality. Like even like guys like Lewis Kidd, guys that made the roster. Billy Price was a first round pick a few years back. Landon Young has started multiple games. Storm Norton uh was you know they went out and signed him for a reason they like him right Calvin Throckmorton has started several games like you have a lot of intriguing options on this offensive line the depth is fantastic I'm just worried about the starters and yeah anyway uh, that's that's kind of where I land on it yeah these very official rankings that the grades that you're going to follow these guys around forever um and and like you you're mentioning though too with that starting line when they're together they're great and that hasn't that's been a problem and you look too, it's like just that continuity when you lose one body or two bodies, you know, how the guys end up playing together as a whole is affected. It's it's really tough. Yeah. And so let's wrap up this segment. I'll go through this list one more time so we kind of get an idea of where we're at. And then we're going to go into the final position groupings who I think are the strongest. Uh, and so 28.5 tight end, 29 quarterback, 29.5 defensive tackle, 30 linebacker 31 offensive line defensive line 32.5 wide receiver and again these grades are based on five categories all graded from zero to ten on a scale starting quality depth dependability track record and playoff experience so every all the position groups that i have not mentioned are somewhere above that and we're going to get into it in the final segment again this is inside black and gold if you haven't subscribed yet please do that i'm jeff nowak alongside steve Geller. You can check out the latest Saints content over at WWL.com. You can follow the pod on Twitter at Saints underscore pod. That'd be a great place to let us know any segments you'd like to hear, any content you'd like us to go through research. We're getting ready for training camp, so it's kind of the dead period. So if there's any time to suggest a podcast segment that we could sink our teeth into, the time is now. So go check that out. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak and Steve at Steve Geller, WWL. This is Inside Black and Gold. We will be right back. And we're back. One more segment here on this dead season edition of Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller of the Saints for about three weeks, give or take, uh, away from the start of the 2023 training camp they still have not announced official training camp dates which we we have to be getting at some time in the next week or so i can't imagine it takes much longer i do know officially rookies report the 18th and vets the 25th the 25th i thought it was the 24th no 18 uh, tuesday the 18th for rookies and a week after for the vets but then i'm assuming the first practice would be the 26th that we're at but we haven't yeah like you said gotten any official word from the team either the 26th or the 27th because they'll have that, they have a press conference with Mickey always the day right. before, and I think that's required by the NFL. Like I don't think he, if he had the choice, he wouldn't. It's kind of like the draft press conference, though. It's a whole, and maybe it's better than the draft press conference, though, because you know, going in to the draft, they're not revealing anything to us. Yeah, he he's he's not as guarded in right, this right. one, and there's you know, there's also information that is helpful for him to give us. Whereas as far as the draft, it's like just a competition to see who can get anything even remotely interesting out of him, not even like useful information, just like, well, that was interesting. That's how they put their magnets up on the board. And stuff right. Like that, right. You know? 
So yeah, we're kind of getting into this period of talking about stuff that doesn't matter. And so that's why I went through and I graded each position group and ranked them so that we can get, get that. You can, you can get an idea of how wrong I'm going to be when the uh, tight ends are just the class of the NFL. Right. And then that sort of thing. Cause right now they're at the bottom of my list, but again, none of these are bad grades. Like 28.5 is the lowest 40 is the highest. And this is a maximum of 50. So if you want to double that and get a lighter grade, go for it. i I didn't want to do that because I still think like your highest grade is an 80. That's a B minus C plus. And I don't think that puts the right spin on things in terms of 40 is an excellent grade. I'm not comparing them to other NFL teams, just comparing them to themselves. But to me, a 40 would be among the best in the NFL at at the position that has it. And we're going to get into that. So the first one I want to get into, there's four position groups left. One, I put an asterisk next to because the way I'm grading these, it doesn't really factor in. You don't need depth at the at special teams, right? You just need one really good kicker and one really good punter and one really good returner. And they typically don't get hurt. So it's not somewhere that really makes sense in these gradings. But I do have special teams at a 37 because I think that from a starting perspective, I put them at a six. I think that's fair. From a depth perspective, I'll put him at a seven. Dependability is six. Track record, eight. Because as much as Willett sucked last year, he does have an excellent track record. Blake Gillikin has a great track record. I feel good about Rashid Jaheed as a returner. I feel good about the guys they have behind him, right? I think it's going to be a competition between Blake Griffin, Blake, Blake, Blake Griffin, <laughs> Blake Groupie, Will Lutz, Lou Headley, Blake Gillikin. It's too many Blakes. You know, there were times last year I thought Gillikin had an up and down season. It was very uh, inconsistent at times, but there were definitely moments where he was able to pin folks, which was impressive. And then other times you were left scratching your head. So, yeah, I, I just thought there was a little bit of inconsistency from Gillikin last season, uh, entering, you know, making you know that that case for a competition going into this year's camp. Even you know, and it's funny, like if uh, if Blake Groupie ever did beat out Will Lutz, you would end up having your kicker and punter both named Blake with the same initials, BGs, BG. Yeah, and then Lou Headley is just kind of a fascinating guy. But like that grade doesn't matter. Have him at a 37, which would be the second highest grade on the team. But I would not consider like it's like if you went around the NFL and graded these, they would probably be in the bottom half at a 37 because the way this stacks up, like every special teams group would grade high. So I'm I'm kind of taking them out of this in terms of putting them on their own and saying 37, which really I think should be a lot higher than than 37. So I'm just going to put like an X through that now and say, I think the special teams group has the potential to be good and they need to be better than they were last year. I think Blake Gillikin actually had a rough season and it's just hard to, it's hard to gauge how good a punter is doing if they're not like kicking the ball, like if they're not just shanking it, right? But I think in terms of the track record that he had established in that 2021 season where he was changing games. Like yeah. I think the Washington game, the game against the the commanders, when he punted the ball inside the three, like three different times and basically took every hope that they had away from them because they were constantly starting drives inside their own five yard line. One of them was an interception down at the goal line. Another one was almost a safety with a bad snap. He didn't really do that last year. He had opportunities. And I think, in like the number of times you saw him make kicks that changed games in the positive last or in 2021, you saw him fail on opportunities or shank kicks 
in those chances in 2022. Against the Bengals is a good example where the Saints were kicking it back to the Bengals up three late in the game. And that was everyone's going to blame Tyron Matthew and and I think I don't know, Justin Evans. I can't remember who, maybe Bradley Roby on that Jamar Chase touchdown. But one of the reasons that they had such an easy time getting to that position was because from a spot on the field, which is about the 40, where you could have split field position and made the Bengals had to drive the length of the field. Instead, it was shanked out of bounds, and so it made it they only had to go 60 yards to score a touchdown, and they did it really quickly, so it was easier to forget the punt. But if you put them inside their own 10 and you set up the defense and give them a lot more opportunity to, to do something and make a play, that, that's a different game. Uh, they might still lose, but the punter did not put his defense in a good position. And so I think Blake, Blake Gillikin, I almost called him Blake Griffin again. Blake Gillikin probably... If you asked him, he would say he didn't have his best year, and I think he has to step up this year too. Yeah, and like you were just touching on there, it was really surprising considering how much of success and what a difference maker he was in 2021. And even in the preseason, remember, he boomed that punt in Green Bay. 81-yard kick. Right, and then ended up getting drug tested randomly afterwards. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, the leg's always going to be there. The power's going to be there. It's the uh, – the the I don't even know what to say accuracy. It's the – it's the big moment kicks that yeah. have a lot more weight than it's like, I know that you put him at the 20 yard, like he can boom it with the best of them. But it's like when you're kicking from your 40 and you have a chance to pin them, that's where you got to do it. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I, I would say overall, obviously the, the special teams, when you look at the kicking, at least punting and field goal was, was a pretty big letdown last year. Yeah. For if, at a position where for years it was one of the Saints' biggest advantages, yeah. <laughs> they were, you know, I don't I don't want to say they were bad. Like there's a lot of teams that are bad on special teams. I don't think the Saints were technically one of them. But it when you lose that advantage, it becomes a disadvantage, right? And so that's why it's hard to gauge because yeah. like they were not bad. They were just on par with a lot of the average special teams groups around the NFL. And even in the kick return game, like they didn't have Deontay Hardy setting up these big returns. Rashid Jaheed was fine but he wasn't great. Um, I think he'll be better, but either way. So we saw that's him enough. a few times. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't, he didn't break any games open. He didn't set up any huge moments. He was consistent and you need consistency out of the kicking game for it to be a weapon. It needs to be good. You know, you need to be elite and they just weren't that. So hopefully they can get back to that. Um, but anyway, that's kicking or that's the special teams group. We're going to kind of put them out there the next highest. So, it went tight end quarterback, defensive tackle, linebacker, offensive line, defensive line, wide receiver, the next group up, which is graded at a 33 and tied with the, the next group is safety. That's Tyron Matthew, Marcus May. Then after that, it's another position where I'm not sure who factors in. Kind of like defensive tackle, I feel a little bit better about it because I think Jordan Howden, it's going to be a good a good pick. You know, I think from what we've seen, I think he's going to be a contributor. He, he kind of reminds me like the same way C.J. Gardner-Johnson early in his career you could see it. You could see the vision. You could see the athleticism. You could see he was an NFL-ready guy. Um, he's also a lunatic. But, you know, I, I don't think Jordan Howden from a from a volatility perspective is the same. But from a from an athleticism, from a perspective of you can see him impacting the game in positive ways from the start, I put him in that category. So the starters I have at a 7, depth I have at a 6, dependability I have at a 6.5. These were tough because – 
while Tyron, I think, was as dependable as you, you can get. He played in all at 17 games. He led the team in solo tackles as much as people like to drag on him earlier in the season, and he did struggle to start. He really came on middle of the season, late, of the, late in the season. He didn't miss a game. I think that dependability-wise, he's as good as it gets. And Marcus May hurt, might get suspended. I don't know what to expect, so that kind of drags it down. Because if it was just Tyron Matthews' dependability grade, I'd put it at a 9. If it if it's everybody else, it ends up at a 6.5. Then track record 6, playoff experience, just like Colin Saunders, I'll put it at 7.5 because Tyron Matthews is another player who knows how to what, what it takes to get to a Super Bowl. He knows what it takes to win a Super Bowl. He knows what it feels like to lose a Super Bowl. And to get uh, kind of your soul taken out of your body by Tom Brady. Um, and that's useful experience. So I put them at a 33, which is right in the, in the, the you know, not in the top, but it's pretty close. Yeah, and there's two players here. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Howden already, but also uh, a guy in Smoke Monday. Curious to Fan see. Favorite. Yeah, some reason. what he's going to bring. I mean, yeah, like when you got a name like that, everybody – is intrigued to see what he's going to bring to the table here. And unfortunately, yeah, injury cut his short in, injury cut his season short a year ago. So we don't have much to go on there, but the safety position. Yeah. You, you, like you mentioned too, even with Taran Matthew, there were questions last season because it was like, everyone was like, Oh, he's lost the step. He's done. He's finished. He's washed up the honey badgers. Uh, he, he comes to, to new Orleans and he's, he's cashed out. He's finished. He's washed. And that wasn't the case at all. Yeah, like you mentioned, there were struggles early on, but definitely one of the brighter spots in the secondary, you know, for the rest of the season. I think he has, you know, you say lost a step, and I think that's a that's kind of a pejorative to some extent, but I do think, like, when you're talking about veteran players, you are going to lose a step. But there's kind of an inflection point where, same as DeMar Davis right now, is like, yeah, he's in his 30s. Of course he's not at, at his peak athleticism, right? That's just not how it works. Like, Father time wins eventually. But when you're a veteran player, there is a point where your understanding of the game combined with your athleticism allows you to play faster than your body might have allowed. Like like you could have played faster earlier in your career, but your brain and your body were not in sync. So you were making up for maybe being slightly out of position by using that athleticism. Now you aren't out of position. And so your athleticism is still enough to get the job done. That's where DeMario is, in my opinion. And that's where Tyron is. Now, if you're asking him to chase down Jamar Chase, it's going to have a hard time, but you've got to put him in the right positions and he's got to understand where he has to be. And I think he does. And last year, one of the difficulties was he was trying to make up for the fact that he didn't have a starting deep safety. He didn't have a starting safety across from him that he knew. Marcus May, what did he play, eight games? Like That was a difficult position to be in when you're learning a new defense, when you have a lot of pressure on you to, to deliver. And I think the defense as a whole struggled, especially once Marshawn Lattimore went out. So I do think that Tyron, he's not where he was maybe in like year three in Arizona or even that Super Bowl winning season sure. with the Chiefs, but he's still a very good safety. And he's still someone that I trust implicitly to lead this group. Right. Because there's something to be said for that. Smoke Monday, I'm not going to talk about him until there's something to talk about. And right now there's nothing to talk about. I mean, he's been fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to blow smoke into the Smoke Monday train just because people want to hear about him. He hasn't really done a ton. And that's something you could say about a lot of people, right? And I've been watching Jordan Howden more closely because he's a rookie who they drafted and I think has looked good. I think Smoke has been very much in the middle of the pack and he's going to have a chance to elevate himself during training camp. 
But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that anything I saw from Smoke Monday during OTAs or minicamp is making me scream, oh my God, Smoke Monday is going to make this roster. He could. He could very much make the roster. If I had to pick a dark horse, which I've been on from the beginning, you can go back and check the tape. It'd be Anthony Orgy in terms of a a guy who you might not think is going to make the roster, who I think is going to make the roster, right? A UDFA. He's the only one I have making the roster. Smoke, he's going to compete. And if he takes a roster spot, Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Jordan Howden's roster spot? Because I don't think it will be. Right. And then you have guys like Jonathan Abram, Ugo Amati. How many safeties are you going to keep? That's the real question. And that's where you can decide whether you want to keep them around. But for now, I put them at a 33. And so let's move to the, the other 33, which is running back. And this grade should be way, way, way higher than it is. <laughs> and it is 100% Alvin Kamara's fault. But yeah, so starters... In terms of Alvin Kamara, Jamal Williams, I could not ask for better. 8.5 probably could be a 9, maybe even a 9.5 if Alvin isn't coming off of the terrible season that he had. Depth, I put it at a 7.5, which is among the highest depth grades I've handed out. Then dependability, I'm putting it a 4 because I don't know how many games you're going to get out of Alvin Kamara. How is he going to be used? How is he going to work with Derek Carr? Haven't seen anything from Kendra Miller yet. Is he going to be 100% in training camp? Is he going to be able to fulfill the needs of this offense when Alvin Kamara is inevitably suspended? I don't know. And that's why this grade is only a 33. It should be higher. It should be closer to a 40, but it's not. So I have dependability at a four, track record at a seven, playoff experience at a six. And that's probably higher than it should be too. But Alvin has been in high leverage playoff games. So I trust him. Jamal Williams has been in high leverage playoff games, so I trust him. And then you kind of go down the line and you have fullbacks and stuff. And But yeah, I have them at a 33. This should be, I still have them a tick above the safety position. Even though they have the same grade, I put them, because you have these these really intriguing names. But Alvin, you know, as as much as I love Alvin, one of the pitfalls of this season is going to be, can this Saints team navigate his absence his planned absence and not planned because they want it planned because they have to plan for it at a level that, that they can maintain their status. It's like, can they go three and three in those games? Can they go two and four in those games? If you go one and five in the games that Alvin misses, that could tank your entire season. Right. And we saw this in 2020 when he missed games, they struggled that five game losing streak. It wasn't just Trevor Simeon being the starting quarterback. Alvin Kamara also missed, I want to say, four of those games. And so can you overcome that? That's why you went out and got Jamal Williams. That's why you drafted Kendra Miller. But it really does do a number on my on my optimism for this running back group and for this Saints offense. And that's really frustrating. And I'm taking it out on Alvin in these grades. Yeah, and, and behind those three that you're mentioning, what do we have right now? Only Eno Benjamin, right? Yeah, I mean, how many teams have a quality fourth running back? No, right? I'm just thinking about what else is there considering, you know, what could happen with Alvin. Yeah, I mean, you know, Benjamin, I, you know, again, like kind of like I was saying with Traquan Smith, how many teams have a fourth running back who is youthful and has played in real situations? Eno Benjamin and, and the grand scheme is probably up there on that list, right? If you went through all 32 teams and listed out the fourth best running back on every roster, however you want to set that up. I feel like the Saints are doing pretty well in that regard. I still think Kirk Merritt should be a running back on this list. Kind of like Ty Montgomery 
would have been a running back on this list. Because I think Kirk Merritt and Ty Montgomery are the same player. And when push comes to shove, I want to see Kirk Merritt make this roster before Eno Benjamin. And it's not because I don't like Eno Benjamin. I just think that the dual, the, the positional flexibility of a Kirk Merritt is really intriguing. And so, yeah, but that's that's just where I land on the running back position. No, I'm excited about the group overall, though. Uh, obviously, uh, with the new addition in Kendra Miller and Jamal Williams. But yeah, the, the question then is going to be to with Alvin, we know the suspension is going to be coming. When does it get handed down and how long kind of thing? When is it going to affect this team? You know, beginning of the year, middle, at the end, who knows still at this point, which is kind of frustrating, obviously. Yeah, and that court case is scheduled to start on July 31st, so yeah. we're only a few weeks away. If it does, if there's no out-of-court settlement, which I still think there will be, even though we haven't heard any rumblings, it just feels crazy to me that that Alvin's camp would allow this to go to trial. I don't know. But yeah. yeah, maybe as we get closer to the deadline with stuff, things will happen. You always hear, you know, deals end up occurring closer to deadline kind of well, thing. Look at, the, look at the Fox News thing with, with, uh, oh, what's it called? The, like the Dominion, right? Everyone was like, oh, that's not going to settle. No way that settles. No way that settles. And then yeah. when you know it, a couple hours before the trial starts, Fox is like, you know what? Let's, let's figure this out. <laughs> um, and, and they, they settled, right? So, like, I think it's a lot of posturing. And, you know, this is obviously more of a it, – it's a different game here because that was a defamation type thing. And this is a, you know, assault and battery type thing, which is a much different legal structure. But at the end of the day, money money talks. And <laughs> the, the biggest uh, concern yeah. is obviously you keep hearing these talks of, oh, Alvin Kamara could end up getting time in prison. I really don't see that happening. But, man, that would be unreal. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised. And mainly because, like, yeah, sure, if Alvin had, like, a bunch of prior incidents, there's NFL players who could go on trial for this this type of thing and not get the luxury of being able to say, oh, this is my first offense. Yeah. But Alvin does get to say that. And that, that I mean, that should go a long way, right? Like, it would be crazy to me if it didn't. But either way, um, it's a question that the Saints have to answer that they shouldn't have to answer, and that is on Alvin and it's frustrating. And I, I guess really tough for you, I guess your the, the rankings too. It's like, obviously you can put Taysom Hill in this group here easily as well. I agree with that. You could put him in the quarterback group because that right, would probably be more yeah, accurate. Yeah, um, Adam everywhere. <laughs> of, the, of all the practices we've watched, Taysom Hill has practiced at quarterback twice and at tight end once. So like whatever position you want to call him, yeah, he's going to be a part of the running game. I, I, it's, it's funny because I don't consider him a running back because I've never seen him take a handoff. Have you? I, I don't know if he has ever taken a handoff from a quarterback, tucked it, and gone upfield. But he is a major part of the running game. Right. So whatever you want to call it. It's the same way like Lamar Jackson is a major part of the Ravens running game. He's not a running back. Josh Allen is a major part of the Bills running game, puts up a ton of rushing yards. He's not a running back. So I kind of consider that with Taysom Hill too, but the difference being Taysom Hill is not a huge part of the Saints passing game. So I can't call him a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. And really not, well, at least definitely not last year, a huge part of the receiving game. He is a running tight end or whatever. Like it's, he is, he is one of one. Like it's, yeah, there is exactly. no one else that you can compare him to and say, this guy's doing the same thing. Like Marcus Mariota with the Titans or with the Raiders might be a good example. Felipe Franks with the Falcons 
Maybe. What the Panthers tried to do with Tommy Myers. Not Tommy Myers. What was his name? Um, the guy the Saints drafted. Yeah, I can't think of that. I, I, they spent all that capital to get him, and then they let him go. I wouldn't say all that capital. They sent a future seventh-round pick. Oh, that no, never mind. Yeah, that they packaged the bunch up to get um, what's his name, the, the tight end that went to Denver. Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, uh, Troutman. Troutman. Thank you. Yeah, they, they what was it like five or six picks to get Troutman? Yeah, Tommy Stevens. Tommy That's Stevens. it. Good old Tommy, Tommy Myers. Stevens. Tommy Myers is actually a tight end who went was from Coventry, Connecticut, who I grew up with, and went to play at UConn. He was a tight end at UConn. <laughs> that's so, why you were so, stuck with that name the tommy stevens i also think that there is a tommy myers who maybe played for the saints yeah there's a there's a Saints safety named tommy myers who's in the team hall of fame different guy that's not who i was thinking of but at least there is a saints reference point there but all right let's move on to the number one position on this saints roster i don't think it's a huge surprise and they are number one by a lot like running back and safety are both at 33 cornerback is at 40 wow and i mean it's just you not only do you have this the top end starting caliber players you have depth you have postseason experience in at least a couple of them um uh, you have dependability which you know if you had asked me before last season about dependability i would have told you you're talking about an eight or a nine this year knowing what happened to marshawn last year which isn't really fair but he'd missed right. about eight games you know, like that's going to hurt your dependability. There was a lot of injuries at the cornerback position last year, right? You ended up with Chris Harris starting multiple games. Um, but yeah, so at cornerback, starters, I'm giving a nine. Depth, I'm giving a nine. Dependability, an eight. Because even with that Marshawn injury, he has been incredibly dependable. He played with a broken thumb for a majority of the 2022 season, or sorry, 2021 season, and looked good doing it. The only difference was he couldn't intercept balls because they were bouncing off of his hands. He would have intercepted them, but he physically couldn't. That's how dependable he's been. Track record, eight. I mean, I don't think you get any better than Marshawn has been. And then playoff experience, I'm putting it out of six because even though Marshawn has a good amount of playoff experience, anyone in that 2017 draft class does because 2017, 18, 19, 20, they were mainstays in the playoffs. Anyone who showed up the last two years has not. But, you know, six is probably unfair because Bradley Roby has won a Super Bowl. So in this sense, I probably am underselling them. So I'm actually going to bump this up to a 7.5 because I actually wasn't even thinking about Roby when I made that grade. So I'm going to put him at a 41.5. Because if I put the defensive tackle position at a 7.5, then I have to at least put the cornerbacks at a, at a 7.5 because Roby has won a Super Bowl too. But yeah, so you have Lattimore, you have Adebo, you have Alante Taylor, you have Bradley Roby. One through four, I'm not sure you're going to find a better cornerback room with Roby at the slot, I still think Adivo is probably going to win out the starting job at a camp, and that could change midseason. I just think that the the track record there is is very impressive, and you're going to be cross-training Taylor at slot, uh, which you have already started, and that's going to – I don't want – it's not going to work against him, but I think it's going to give Roby Adibo a chance to stand out in camp, um, and I think he will, just like he did last year. I expect him to be a star of camp again just like he was last year with no refs on the field. Oh, hopefully and, uh, then yeah. all those pass breakups turn into pass interceptions. That's what I want to see. Really, seriously. <laughs> I, I'd like to see him having spent his offseason working on his ball skills. Yeah. Because when you can when you can knock the ball away, that's a great play. When you can intercept the ball, that is a game-changing play. And it's the type of thing that while Alante did not get interceptions, he set them up, and it's just a matter of him catching them. 
And one of them was, was, you know, negated by a really bad penalty call. I don't even think it was a penalty. It was just a really bad call on Chris Harris. Another one was negated because they said he was juggling the ball as he went out of bounds, which I think was bullshit too. Uh, one of them got tipped right at the ball by Olamide Zacchaeus. I don't know why I remember that specifically, but it happened. And it's it a fantastic game. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think it's actually Alamade. And then he had another one. So like he should have had minimum of two, maximum of four. Yeah. And in the long run, I think that ability to kind of set up plays and make that interception is going to pay off and he's going to be the starter. But one way or another, deciding between Adebo and Alante is a good problem to have. And that's why, like, that group, in my opinion, if they can stay healthy the way they did not last year, they have a chance to dominate games. And hopefully they can do that. Because I think if this Saints team is going to excel, it's going to get consistency on offense from Derek Carr and Juwan Johnson and these groups that are down toward the bottom. And it's going to get elite defensive secondary play from Tyron Matthew and Marcus May and Marshawn Lattimore and whoever starts at corner and whoever's in the slot. Like, you're going to need that. And that's going to be this Saints team's claim to fame. And so, like, this this group is by far the best on the team, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I love the group, love the the depth here, too. The biggest thing, uh, you mentioned it a little bit there, it's like just being able to come up with those interceptions. Uh, we saw, unfortunately, last season, for whatever reason, Taran Matthew was really the only guy uh, doing anything back there except for uh, – you know, the, the safety that came over for Kansas City and seemed to be in the right place at the right time. Daniel Sorensen. Yeah, I don't even know where he is now. I think he's a free agent. Okay. I don't think he signed anywhere. Yeah, um, not like he was anything special, but it was a decent, ended up being a decent depth guy for this team last year. But anyway, uh, yeah, the interceptions have to come for this group. And, you know, not having Marshawn, obviously for a good chunk of last season, hurt seeing him come back game one, boom, game winning pick six against Philly. Was right. Huge. And yeah, he just makes that difference out there. I mean, they, I think they beat the Bucks in week 13 if Marshawn's out there, right? Like to, to me, like if you're trying to look at one game that could have changed the season, that his presence would have directly impacted. Yeah. It's that week 13 game against the Bucks, especially when you see Paulson and Debo getting called for that pass interference penalty at the goal line, guarding a guy he should have never been asked to guard. Guarding a guy you end of the season saying he's not a guy you have to worry about because Marshawn's going to take him away. At the end of both games, both Bucks games, both games they had a chance to win, Marshawn was not on the field. And that game specifically, just because you had that lead and you had a chance, the games went similarly. Like, they weren't that different of games. That's a great point. The first one wasn't an injury. He got tossed. Yeah, he got tossed along with Mike Evans. So Paulson didn't have to guard Mike Evans. Paulson wasn't even on the field. That was actually Elante Taylor's first game because Paulson was – he missed the first three, maybe four, with that – lower body injury i can't remember maybe it was an ankle but yeah so that game and then you look at the the Bengals game because who would who would marshawn have been shadowing around would have been jamar chase right and so instead you're trying to get it done with a group you're trying to get tyron to give help and i think it was roby it might have been Roby. i can't recall but either way they got burned and you know like those are the games that if you had him out there you probably win and you saw like the eagles game they probably lose if marshawn's not on the field like you saw how that second half was going if marshawn's not there to make that play to really set that up a play that he said that he saw in the first half they ran it to aj brown they kind of that delayed throw out out wide and he saw it it worked and he made a mental note of it came back in the second half down toward the goal line and he was like okay i see it it's coming breaks on it touchdown changes the game and that's the type of play that marshawn can make because that's the type of player that Marshawn is. 
your elite players are the ones that that should make the difference between wins and losses in close games and he needs to be on the field to do that so hopefully he can stay healthy and they can they can get it out of him no it's a great point right there you need those big difference makers and sadly on going back to the offensive side of the ball man there was just not that person to be that difference maker last season and i when it came to at least making that big play at the right time, whether we, we saw plenty of drops from everybody or the inability to just get that extra yard uh, instead of stepping out of bounds, whatever it was kind of thing, the offense just was not a well-oiled machine either last year. Well, when one of those elite players is not the quarterback. Yeah, right. It's very difficult, right? Like you can have the greatest wide receiver in the world. If the quarterback can't get in the ball, it doesn't matter. And well, I think Andy Dalton did a fine enough job. You could the expectation could never have been the offense is going to go win us this game. The defense always had to get it done Absolutely. because individually, individual star defensive players can impact a game in ways that individual star offensive players cannot. Other than maybe a running back, because a running back gets the ball regardless of whether the quarterback is good or not. They just have to hand it to him. So yeah, it's it's. If you have a star cornerback and you're expecting to him to impact games and he's not there, that affects you, in my opinion, a lot more than a star wide receiver not being there because you can make things work and rely on the other side of the ball. So anyway, I, I think these grades, if we want to go through them again, 28.5 at tight end group, 29 quarterback, 29.5 <laughs> defensive tackle, 30 linebacker, 31 offensive line, defensive line, 32.5 wide receiver, 33 safety, 33 running back, 41.5 cornerback. Special teams is also hanging out to the side at 37.5. And those grades are based off of the starting quality, the depth, the dependability, the track record, and the playoff experience all graded 0 to 10. So that's what I spent this morning doing, and that's what I spent this afternoon talking about. We are locked and loaded, getting ready for now Friday sports talk. Woohoo! On WWL, woohoo! more Saints talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a lot. We're going to have a lot. And so I think that that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is we're going to do kind of one big episode in the middle of the week. We're going to use our Friday episode of sports talk, which I know, you know, isn't the most popular listened to episode. And we're going to look at one specific subject and kind of turn that into our Monday morning episode. Like we did this week. I know it's not ideal, but you know, this is the time we're supposed to be taking time off. And so I'm trying to maximize my time off. So sorry, guys. <laughs> I need a couple of days. I've actually really very much enjoyed this week because I have not really done much work. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, but I hope everyone enjoyed this this rankings. I think, you know, it, it's kind of silly, but I do think it gives, you know, it's it's a good way to visualize the stitch, the strengths and the weaknesses or the relative strength and relative weaknesses of this roster. Because going into it, I really wasn't sure. I couldn't have told you out front where I might have ranked these things, especially like how it kind of shapes up against one another. Like the fact that cornerback is way above any other position. I, I wouldn't have said that until I kind of looked at it and be like, you know what? I think it is. Uh, so it's kind of a, an interesting thing. I'll put up a post on WWL that, that kind of lays it out in a text perspective so people can kind of get the the actual look at it. But I thought it was kind of interesting. I did too. And uh, I, I love the fact that, you know, you, you mentioned too, obviously, this isn't stuff that's that's set in stone. Things are going to change. But right now, going into things, this is just the way you had viewed it. it. It's not future based on what future performances are. No, this is not predictive whatsoever. Although, like, the only one that might be predictive is, like, playoff experience because I expect those players to lead groups, right? Like, they, they have to. Otherwise, that is a waste of 
a guy who has a Super Bowl ring. You know, yeah, and that makes total sense to me. But all right, I think it's going to wrap it up. This has been a long episode, so it's going to take forever to edit, but it'll be fun. I'll go back and I'll agree with myself a whole lot. Anyway, Steve, you got you got anything coming up on Sports Talk this week you want to plug? Uh, just getting ready now for the MLB draft. Going to be breaking down the prospects, and there's right. been talk about how Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz might not be the number one overall pick. I'm curious as to why. I think it's they ridiculous. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers might take a high schooler instead of one of the top LSU dudes. It would be impressive if the Steelers decided to take a to take a baseball player. Oh yeah, them too. Steelers, Pirates, same difference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Check out check out Sports Talk. Steve hosts every day. WWL AM eight seventy FM one zero five three and on the free Odyssey app, just like this podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Follow us on YouTube, WWL Sports. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Saints underscore pod, even though Elon is actively trying to tank the damn thing into the ground. Good time. Help us help you, Elon. Help us help you. But all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. It's been fun. Who dat? Go Saints. Later.